Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're looking at the Beatitudes. We're looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And um, just a few verses, starting from verse 1. Matthew 5, verse 1. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. This is Jesus. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. And that's what we're going to be focusing on. Blessed are the peacemakers, because they will be called the sons of God. We were planting a church in Howick, and we had just come, and uh, we were um, brought some tea and cookies from the Presbyterian minister on our first day of arrival. How about that? And I said to him, so how, how often do you guys meet as a fraternal, as, as pastors? And he said, no, we don't meet. And I said, what? You, you don't meet? And he said, no, we don't meet. So being the new boy on the block, I said, well, let's meet. And he said, oh, okay. I'll, I'll phone everybody and we'll set it up. So we had this meeting and um, everything went well until the end, towards the end of the meeting, the Methodist pastor stood up, big imposing figure, and flew into the Assemblies of God pastor and, and accused him of being a sheep stealer and tra-la-la, tra-la-la. And it's like, everybody's like sitting like this and think, oh God, what have I started here? A can of worms. And um, so Tony Belcom, the Assemblies of God pastor, was very calm. I just looked at him and I thought, wow, you know, I'd be running out, running out the room. There's a room full of pastors to be accused of sheep stealing and, and what a what And so he says, and to put the record straight, he said, could I respond to you now? And she said, yes, you better. And, um, but it was, it was really violent. And um, he, he said, well, you know, your predecessor had a circuit to go around and preach at, and he was hardly at, at home, and, and he wasn't there pastorally. And, and so people weren't cared for pastorally. And so people came to our Bible study. We had a midweek Bible study, and people got saved. Your Methodist people got saved there. They got filled with the Spirit there. And... and we said to them, no, no, you must go back now. Go back to your church. And they said, no, we won't go back to our church. And we, we said, why? And they said to us, well, we got saved here. We were never taught the gospel at, at this church. And we got filled with the Spirit. And we have pastoral care. And so as much as we tried to encourage them to go, they didn't. And, that, that, and that's the, the reason why they came across to us. We did not, not sheep still. Well, you know, the dust settled, and, and it was quite amazing. At the end of that meeting, they said to me, so, Pio, when are we going to meet again? <laughs> so, like, I was, I was floored. It's like, really? Do you want to meet again after such a storm? And they said, yes, yes, we want to meet, we want to meet again. I said that in my heart about a storm. And, um, and we, we met we regularly. And, you know, God broke something over that town, in that instant. 
and, and, and the animosity was broken and, and, and things were restored. And you know, there was just such a ripple that went through the town that all the churches grew. And you know, the Bible says that where there's unity, God commands His blessing. And there was, ju there was just such a blessing. You know, sometimes we, we are peacemakers and we don't even realize it. And I don't take any credit for being the peacemaker because I didn't have a clue that there was a problem, you know, amongst the two, the two brethren. But why I'm saying it is to say that peacemaking is powerful. It has a powerful effect and it can change a town. Nelson Mandela came out of prison and his words were a peacemaking word to the nation and he averted a bloodbath because instead of hatred and animosity and unforgiveness he spoke the opposite and 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 and, and it set the tone and it changed a nation peacemaking why are we called to be peacemakers i'm glad you asked the question well first of all god's kingdom is a kingdom of peace and God is the greatest peacemaker of them all, right? When Jesus came to live on this earth, he came in a time when there was Roman rule and it was to be a second-class citizen to be a Jew in, in those days. And they were longing for the Messiah to come because they were expecting the Messiah to overthrow the, the Roman rule, to issue in a, a, a period of peace and prosperity. And Jesus came and said, no, no, I haven't come for that purpose. And because of that, they rejected him and they crucified him. They crucified their prince of peace, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. He's the prince of peace. He's the greatest peacemaker that the world has ever known and that the world will ever know. Why? Why is he a champion of peace? Why is he the peacemaker? Because the archangel rebelled against God, was thrown out of heaven, Enticed mankind to rebel against God, which they did. And sin came into the world and all sorts of destruction came into the world because of sin. Hatred, division, schisms, disunity, discord. And so the, the Prince of Peace came into this world to restore peace between God and man and between man and man. But Satan has come and his kingdom is one of chaos and turmoil and strife. But God's kingdom is one of peace. The kingdom of God is one of righte is, is, is not a matter of eating and drinking, but one of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's a kingdom of peace. And that's the reason why we are to be peacemakers. Second reason is that we are to be followers of Christ's Example. Every single Christian is given the privilege and the responsibility of being a peacemaker. No one is exempt. It's not just for a chosen few in the family of God. It's for every single person. The greatest and the most important way that we can be a peacemaker is to point people to Jesus. Because those who are not Christ followers do not have peace. They do not have peace. The world does not have peace. And so our greatest means of being a peacemaker is to reconcile them to God through Jesus Christ when we introduce them.
to our glorious Prince of Peace. Ephesians 2 and verse 14 says, For he himself, Jesus, is our peace. He is our peace. Ephesians 2.17 says, He came and he preached peace to you who were far away. At one time we were far away from God. We didn't have peace with God, right? I didn't have peace with God. When Christ was not my Savior, I was at war with myself. I was at war with, with God. And I was far away. And he drew me to himself. The role of the peacemaker is to reconcile two warring parties. And those outside of Christ are at war with God. And when we point them to God and they receive Christ, then they have his peace and his joy, his salvation. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20 says, He has committed to us the message of what? Reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We are those who reconcile. We are given this message of reconciliation. And so that's between God and man. But then also man and man. We are there to enable people to become friends of one another. And even in the family of God, we know that we're not perfect. And we know that there are disruptions and upheavals. And as A.D. Kendall says, it involves bringing enemies together, healing marriages, family splits, getting people to speak to each other, and just maybe bringing peace where no one dreamt it possible. The Jews in the day of Jesus would have nothing to do with the Samaritans. They hated them. And here was Jesus. He comes and he goes out of his way to befriend these hated and ostracized people. And he, he did the same with every other group that were called outcasts in society. The tax collectors and, and the sinners that were so hated by the Jewish aristocracy and the priests at, at the top. Why did he do this? Because he lived a life that was a counterculture of society, one of love, one of reconciliation. All right, so that is the why. And let's look at the what then. What are, are the characteristics of a peacemaker? So the peacemaker is born again, a born-again disciple of God, he has peace with God, he has peace with himself, he has peace with his fellow man. Without that, without which, we, we cannot be peacemakers, right? We can, we can't. I, I was at Baptist Theological College and there were two students who argued about theology and they just flew into each other. It landed in fisticuffs after lectures one, on one occasion. Bloodied mess. And, and a couple of weeks later, they fought again. This is supposed to be the angel factory, people. <laughs> the principal got to hear about it and said, one more time, and you're out. Those two guys never went into ministry. Praise God for that. <laughs> but, but they didn't have peace with God, peace with themselves, and peace with their fellow man. And Jesus here writes this, the Beatitudes, and it's, it's a ladder, it's an ascending ladder of virtues that we need to practice. Otherwise, we'll never become peacemakers. Blessed are the poor in spirit. 
Blessed are those who mourn for their sin. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the righteous, the merciful, the pure in heart. And then blessed are the peacemakers. So if we circumvent those, if we bypass those or ignore those virtues, we can never become a peacemaker. And I think that's why there's so much strife in so many churches. And I've been to many, many churches where there have been upheavals and there have been strife. A peacemaker is secondly a person who is a deep love for people. Deep love for people, just as Jesus had a deep love for people. Gone is the selfishness, self-centeredness, but there's a love for people and love to see them at peace with God and at peace with, with one another. Those two go hand in hand. Want to see them having peace this way and, and peace this way, whether it's in families or whether it's in the church as friends or, or whatever. Jesus had such a deep concern for people. And when you read the scriptures, when I was unsaved, unconverted, and, and I read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it was like, what? This guy is amazing. This Jesus had such a concern for people, such a love for, for, for people. Here he comes across this crowd of, with stones in their hands, and they want to stone this woman caught in adultery. And he saves her life, and he forgives her of her sin. Incredible. We were at Baptist College, as I said to you, driving with Elaine, coming home just outside Hillbrow. We lived just outside Hillbrow. And two, two, two people were fighting. There was this crowd. And we lived just around the corner. Our flat was just around the corner. It was a stop street, so I was looking at this. They were bloodied. They were bloodied. And, this, and the crowd was egging them on. You know, scop bomb, you know, mark bomb, do it, you know. Um, and it was like, these guys were just full of blood. And I don't know how long they'd been going at it, but they were so tired. They, like, they, they could, they could they, they, their heart wasn't in the fight. They were just fighting because people wanted them to kill each other. And I became so incensed. I just leapt out of the car, uh, middle of the road, Elaine said, what are you doing? I didn't quite know what I was doing as well. And, uh, and I pushed through the crowd and, 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 and I pushed them, pushed them apart. They were, so, they were so tired that they just flew apart. I thought maybe they were going to come at me, you know, and then I was going to be the one that was going to be attacked. And I shouted at them at my, in my best military accent and, and, and tone, you know, Stop it! Go home! And I told the crowd to go home. I thought they were going to lynch me too. And, um, and, and they dispersed. And I, I, when I got home, I was like, what, what, did, what did I do? And I was like, you're crazy, man. You're not six foot six. And um, I don't know, maybe it averted, averted something. But I think as born-again believers... There must be something within us of Christ that says, no, stop that. Stop that. You, you're harming one another. Sometimes it's a bit crazy when you're a peacemaker, but God works through it. Peacemaker is fully persuaded, thirdly, and deeply convicted and convinced that as a follower of Christ, 
he has to be actively involved. If we are not fully persuaded, we'll never become proactive. We will always be spectators. We will always sit on the sideline. We will always just look on. And we will miss out on the blessing that God has for us. And what is that blessing? It says, we're, it's, more, it, it's blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Do you want to be blessed? Because they will be called the sons of God. Are you called a son of God in that sense today? Have you intervened? Have you brought people together? Have you prayed for people to be brought together? Blessed are you if you have. You're blessed. God's blessing can't be compared with any other blessing. All right, so we've looked at the why. We've looked at the what. And let's look at the how. How do we become peacemakers? What's involved? First of all, it requires us to be peaceable. Is there a, a word like that, Mr. Principal? Peace-loving. Peace-loving. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14 says, Make every effort to live at peace with all men. To live at peace with, with all men. Romans 12, 16, Live in harmony with one another. Someone said, Oh, to live with the saints above, that will be glory. But to live with the saints below, that's another story. <laughs> and in the many churches that I've been in, it's been another story. Because we're sinners. Because we make mistakes. Because our mouths, you know, run away with us at, at times. And so, the basic entrance level of peacemaking is not to be one who causes waves, but one who is peace-loving. And we do that by honoring one another above ourselves, right? And folks, the, so many schisms and divisions in churches and church breakups would be, have been averted if we only do the basics properly. This is basic 101 stuff. And we need to go back to basics. We need to go back to basics. Peace-loving. Secondly, it requires us to be concerned for others. Scott McKnight says, Peacemaking is neither being nice, it doesn't involve that to some extent, but not on its own, nor is it tolerance. Rather, it is an active entrance into the middle of warring parties for the purpose of creating reconciliation and peace. A peacemaker doesn't turn a blind eye to guys who are knocking heads with each other in the same church. They didn't say, well, well it's, not, it's not my fault, it's not my problem, and um, somebody else must, must get involved. I've been in many churches where, where Christians don't talk to each other, and they avoid each other like the plague. What a witness that is to the world. How shocking. How shocking. Because the Prince of Peace is resident in the church of Jesus Christ, right? He's resident in our lives. And if he's resident in our lives and we call ourselves Christ followers, then we need to be those who call ourselves peacemakers. And we need to reach out and do the basics properly. 
And I must hasten to, to add that it's not being a busybody. The one extreme is that I do nothing. The other extreme is that I become a busybody. A busybody is, is, is somebody who meddles or interferes or thinks he's the, the answer to everybody's problems. Not that kind of uh, peacemaking. We're not talking about that, prying into everybody's affairs. I've, I've come across some people like that in, in churches where, you know, they want to get into the juicy details, you know, and it's like, um, I want you to pray about this matter, you know, because so and so and so and so and so and so. That's not a peacemaker. The Philippine church, Paul addresses in chapter 4, and he talks about two ladies who had butting heads at loggerhead with each other. Chapter 4 and verses 2 and 3, he says, I plead with you, Yodia, and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellows, help these women. Help these women. They need help. They can't do it alone. Imagine if your name was, had come up here and like Mark and Pierre, you better get on with each other, hey, Mark and Pierre. For every your name is there, Mark and Pierre. It's like, ooh. Notice he's not talking to the leaders here, is he? Pastors, elders? No. Who is he talking to? The church. He's saying, please help them. Sort them out. Come alongside them. This is being a peacemaker, right? It's for everybody. It's a directive to the whole church. Not like, woohoo. You know, those two, oh, man. I wish they weren't in our church. No. We wish they were, and we wish you got involved in helping them through those difficulties. Thirdly, it requires us to be courageous. It's not easy to attempt to reconcile two people who had loggerheads with each other. I don't know if you, if you realize that or if you've ever been involved in trying to reconcile two friends who have fallen out. It requires courage, it, it requires much prayer, it requires wisdom, it requires the Holy Spirit coming and, 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 and helping us out. Because often there's, there's discouragement. Often uh, we're rebuffed when we do that. People sometimes don't want our help. And that's probably why people don't go back and say, oh, well, I was rebuffed once. You know, no, I'm not going to go through that again. Because sometimes people say, but oh, it's not your problem. It's not your, you know, it's not your endeavor. Have you come across people like that? Say, we can work through it on our own. Who needs you? Some nice Christians around sometimes. Esther risked her life going to the king on behalf of her people. Her people were going to be killed, slaughtered. And she couldn't dare to come into the presence of the king without an appointment. And she did just that. And she saved her nation. Courageous. 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 But more was at stake than her life. The other lives were at stake as well. Hooray for a person like that. A peacemaker. With courage. Why don't you determine in your heart that you're going to be a courageous peacemaker? Galatians 6, verse 1 and 2. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him. How? Boom! No, gently. 
gently, gently. Verse 2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Number four, it requires us to be willing to forgive and willing for us to communicate well. It's terrible when, can we get into some nitty-gritties here? It's terrible when, when and I've, I've, I've come across this in my own life and I've counseled people who've gone through a situation like this, where pe- people have um, demonstrated through their actions, through their attitudes, through their, their body language, that you've offended them in some way and you don't know what it is. You don't know what it is because they haven't spoken to you about it. That's not being a peacemaker. And I'm showing you, you've done something. In French, you say, c'est pas bon. It's not good, what you've done to me. But they won't come and speak to you. A, they won't forgive you. And B, they won't come and speak to you. We need to speak to one another. And we need to be careful how we speak to one another. I had one guy come some years ago and he says, I've got a bone to pick with you. You know? Great tone, great, great introduction, because you put up the barriers, you know. So I said, great, I'm hungry. When do we eat? I shouldn't have said that either, I think. <laughs> and then, I don't know if you've had that, and some people have said to me that, some people have approached them and, and have said, I just want to tell you that I've forgiven you, and they turn around and they walk away. You didn't know that there was an issue in the first place. Really? Has it been an issue? What was it? What is it? You know, and they won't tell you. That's not being a peacemaker. We're getting into the nitty-gritties now. Have you, had, have you had an occasion like that? Hopefully not. Being a peacemaker means to go to someone. Matthew 5, 23. If you bring your gift to the church you're offering and you remember that someone has something against you, go and sort it out. Go, go to him and say, sorry, have I offended you? What, 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 you know, can we work this thing through? Can we, you know, rather than sweep it under the counter, sweep it un- un- under the carpet. There's so many Christians who just sweep stuff under the, under the carpet. Like, we hope it goes away, you know. It's like, no, it doesn't go away. Sometimes it comes back to bite a thousand times worse. Lastly, requires us to guard our tongues. Proverbs 18.24 The tongue has the power of life and death. And we need to pray that we will bring life to the body of Christ, right? Not death, but life. Now, here comes a man who brings life, who brings sunshine, who brings happiness, who brings correction, but it's out of love. Because he's, he's a peace-loving person. He's at peace with himself. We can't be peacemakers without that. Proverbs 15 and verse 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Gentle answer. Gentleness is the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 23. The fruit of the Spirit. And we need to ask God to fill us with that fruit of the Spirit. I don't know about you, but my tongue has... Uh, Got me into trouble over the years. Because sometimes we engage our tongues without actually engaging our minds too, too much. <laughs> and, and, and often we think, ah, I shouldn't have said it in that way or I shouldn't have said that. 
you know, and you say, forgive me, Lord, and you have to go, do, go back to someone and say, sorry, that was a bit hard, it was a bit harsh. Um, and, and, and James says in chapter 3 that the tongue is, is, is very difficult to control, right? It's the last thing that gets under control sometimes, and it sometimes produces hostility instead of being a peacemaking vehicle. Proverbs 17 and verse 14 says, Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam, so drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. I've seen, I've seen a lot of Christians in many churches become so heat, heated up about theological issues. Can you believe it, you know? Arminian, you know, reform, charismatic, non-charismatic. Man, explosive stuff. Just, just drop it. In marriage, we sometimes need to just say, okay, okay let's, let's just take ten steps backwards, otherwise we're not going to be peacemaking over here, and we're not going to be sleeping well. Satan is a troublemaker of the highest order, and so not, let's not be his helper in any way, right? God is a peacemaker, and let's be a helper in every way that we can be. Ronald Reagan said to Gorbachev, tear this wall down. You remember the wall that was the wall of division in, in Germany? The Berlin Wall? Mr. Gorbachev, tear this wall down. It was tearing people apart because it was separating families. The one section of Germany was impoverished. It was shocking. Division is shocking. Separation is so shocking. And that wall, wall was torn down. And what a mighty thing happened over there. And this is a picture of what God wants us to do as, as peacemakers. Tear the wall of division down between people in marriages, where, wherever it is. And there's not the them and us in leadership. Many, many churches are the them and us. No, that's a wall of division. Tear it down. Tear it down. To be peacemakers is like we're one family. We're going in one direction. And so the Lord bless you as you do that. As he uses you mightily. It's an exciting thing to be a peacemaker. Sometimes not easy. And so let me pray for you today. I, I had a word that uh, when I was preparing this, that the Lord just dropped this word, discouragement and depression. And, um, and I'd like to pray for you if... If that is you, I'd like to pray for you after the meeting. Maybe you're at war with God. Maybe you do not have peace today in your heart because you do not know Jesus as your Savior. And I would invite you to come so we can pray with you and invite Jesus to come in. Take away the enmity between God and yourself and no peace. You can know the peace today because Jesus is right here and he extends his arm to you in friendship. Let's pray. Our God, our Father, how we bless you that you were that great peacemaker who came from glory and you died on that cross to reconcile us to God. And Lord, we know that you want us to be those peacemakers in this world where there's strife, there's turmoil, there's chaos, there's bitterness, there's hatred. There's so much destruction. We pray that we would move in the counter, in a counter spirit and as, as you did, Lord Jesus, when you were on this earth. 
I pray for peace in this, this family. Thank you for these dear folk who love you. I pray that you just minister to them. Minister to any today who, who, who are hurting. We, we lift up to you, Anne-Marie and, and others who are hurting. Pray your grace upon them. Pray your, your sustenance. We pray that um, you would give them wisdom and grace to deal with these situations. So thank you, God. We bless you in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.